Hi, I'm Mary Kay Fain, founder of 4W. I'm Sasha White, and I am the co-founder of Flevity.org. And this is Identity Crisis, a new show for gender-critical teens and 20-somethings. So, Sasha, I got something in the mail today, and I'm wondering if you did too. You know what? I got something in the mail today too. A little package from 4W. From 4W. Yeah, like apparently it's some feminist organization. You know, I happen to actually get some packages from 4W too. And I'm wondering, maybe we should open them together. So the first thing I got is this little envelope. And I think that there might be some stickers in here. Don't actually remember what I ordered for (laughs) myself. That is an identity crisis sticker. That's cute. Let's see. Where are you going to stick it? Probably on my laptop. Yes, there it is. There's the new Identity Crisis sticker. If you guys want this sticker, available, 4W Shop. Definitely check it out. get it. So I've got this box here. It's a puppy. Oh my God, don't tease me for that. 4W mug. I love the colors. I know. I love this so much. I specifically got this for when we're on the show. I like purposely made it angled this way so that like when I hold it in my You're dominant so handle logo so is smart. out. Love this mug. I think I actually sent you one too, Sasha, because I remember I asked you, hey, what's your gender, pink or blue? <laughs> That's because what I was the- for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because these mugs actually, they come in pink, blue, or black actually, as well nice. with the pop color. Nice. And uh, I really non-binary. love this. I'm super excited. Yes, for the non-binaries. And I'm going to transfer my drink now from this <laughs> old college mug I have to my Fort Elvian mug. Now I'm go. Go. Sasha, what did you get? Okay. I have a lovely gray package from 4W. <laughs> See what's inside. Hashtag canceled feminist. It's perfect for me because I'm canceled. And it kind of has a double meaning because I've canceled myself as a feminist because I no longer call myself yeah. a feminist. It's perfect. I love it. Yeah, you can check out. There should be a link in the description where you can get all your 4W merch. But there's another merch thing that's available right now that we have not unboxed today yet. And uh, Sasha, do you want to tell people about what that is? Just, I'm a little thirsty before I explain. (gasps) (laughs) So you can also get mugs from Plebity. This is the Crossroads mug. And we have these lovely Gresham ladies having a discussion. We also have identity crisis mugs. We have... Um, plebity free speech fund mugs and you can get those from our patreon this month we're doing a promo if you join in may you get a mug you don't have to pay extra for a mug you just have to join patreon for a certain amount of money and then you get a mug you don't want to miss these awesome mugs just you know drink drink your morning tea show your feminist pride or your canceled feminist pride or your free thought pride or your free speech pride whatever your pride is yeah we're going into june so you got to get ready for pride three two one In news from Canada, I interviewed the attorney for Robert Hoogland, who, as we all know, or in case you didn't know, was actually jailed for opposing his daughter's gender transition. Um, When she was around 14, he got her school yearbook and saw that she was suddenly going by a male name and wearing male clothes. This is the first he heard of it. And the child very quickly was put on a path to puberty blockers, hormones, which she's now on, testosterone. And this father, Rob Hoogland, went against the judge's gag order in order to speak to the press about what was happening and about the psychologist who has many complaints against him. Um, So 
the update on Rob is that he's out. He's not in jail anymore. Thank God. I think he served over a month though. And he was sentenced to six months. They are go they are appealing it. He might not have to serve it. He also was given a um, $30,000 fine. And you can find out all the details. Some of them are very harrowing from the lawyer, Carrie Lynch, who I interviewed on my channel last week. Wow, Sasha, thank you for that update because I'm really glad to hear that he's out. Uh, we talked about him on this show before and it's obviously just a really absolutely disturbing case of uh, suppression of free speech. So everyone's definitely gonna need to check out that interview with his lawyer, that's gotta be great. Yeah, and um, you know, one of the things that really stuck with me that the lawyer Carrie told me was that Rob, I, I asked what's his mental state or what was his mental state when you visited him in jail and what is it now? And Carrie said that he feels that he's won. You know, he feels that yeah. he, he feels at peace in the sense that he is glad he got the word out. He had to pay the price, but he's brave and he's tough. You can also donate to him on his crowdfunding page. So check that out. MK, are you ready to give us our next ICYMI? Yes, I am. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. A lawsuit in the state of Washington over FOIA requests has revealed that the ACLU of Washington is intentionally suppressing records of rape allegations against men who have been transferred to women's prisons under gender identity policies. The Women's Liberation Front, who full disclosure is my employer, but I'm not speaking for them right now, is representing one of the citizens whose public records request was denied in this case. The court records revealed that seven different male criminals are currently being housed in these women's facilities in Washington, among them a man who seriously murdered prostitutes and a man who raped a 12-year-old girl. These are the women or that these women in this prison are being housed with these men right now. The ACLU is aware of this and trying to cover it up. It's really disturbing what has come out of this case. It's been a disturbing precedent. And we're going to be covering more about this story next week. So be sure to check out that episode. We're going to really do a deep dive into this ACLU Washington case. Great. Thank you, MK. I'm looking forward to talking about that more. It's kind of harrowing, this story, and I hope that it wakes a lot more people up. Yeah, I think it really will. But so definitely you guys want to check out next week's episode. Okay. It's Sasha, your turn for, I guess, in case you missed it. Yes. All right. In three, two, one, go. In news from the United States, a scholarship that was created last year, 2020, in honor of the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a women's scholarship for law students is officially open to anyone who identifies as a woman and, quote, lives as a woman. So this scholarship is a life-changing opportunity potentially for women law students. It's $10,000 a year next year, although they may change the amount, as well as mentorship and other career opportunities. So this is something that could actually give a woman the opportunity to go to law school when she might not otherwise be able to. For people who don't know, law school here is like up to $70,000 a year full tuition. And the fact that this is another instance where a man could potentially take an award away from a woman is just showing us really how far this gender madness has come. And the irony of the award, which is named the When There Are Nine Award after Ruth Bader Ginsburg's insistence that there should be nine women on the Supreme Court is such a sickening irony. And um, I'll be publishing a story on it today on Play, but you can read more. That's crazy. I can't wait until the day that there are nine women on the Supreme Court, but they're all just actually men. That's precisely what is so funny and bizarre about the story. Oh 
Absolutely nuts. Well, looking forward to hearing more about that. And uh, okay, good luck to those students. One more ICYMI and then we get into it. All right, I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one, go. Demi Lovato is the latest celebrity to come out as non-binary this week in her new podcast called 4D, which as far as I'm concerned, it sounds a little bit too close to 4W, but what are you going to do? She's, <laughs> she claims that she is now going by they, them, and interviewed this non-binary guy, Alok, who he's a whole different thing. But she said, over the past year and a half, I've been doing some healing and self-reflective work. Through this work, I've had the revelation that I identify as non-binary. With that being said, I'll be officially changing my pronouns to they, them. I feel this best represents the fluidity I feel in my gender expression and allows me to be the most authentic and true person I both know I am and still discovering. The rest of the episode, if you watch it, just contains a bunch of gender stereotypes that she doesn't want to adhere to. She talks about how she cut her hair and doesn't want to wear makeup on some days, and that's apparently why she's not a woman. Uh, we're probably going to be talking more about that coming up, and I think that you can also expect an article on this soon. Yeah, so first of all, we wish Demi the best in her new journey, and you know, it's so inspiring. But um, what's something that I just thought that's really interesting, when we talk about non-binary, we usually talk about how these girls are very often autistic. Well, when you look at the trans boys, they're they're very often autistic or they have other struggles with mental health or self-harm or identity problems. And now Demi Lovato is an attention-seeking celebrity. I don't think that this necessarily applies to her. However, we could use her as, a, as sort of a discussion point because she has been very open about her addiction problems, her mental health, her self-harm, her eating disorders. I mean, she is mm -hmm. a jumble of these mental health issues and self-destructive behaviors. Yeah, I completely agree. In her episode, she talks about all of these things that we have seen as being recurring patterns among these young women who are identifying as non-binary, the mental health issues, the body image issues, the self-harm issues. She even talks about her struggles uh, to come to terms with her sexuality, being attracted to women and not really knowing what to do with that at first. And she talks about her history of sexual violence. And mm -hmm. she even talks about how her new gender identity has helped her heal from this male violence by recognizing the masculine within herself so she doesn't need to be afraid of the masculine anymore it honestly i i actually don't see this as a big attention seeking celebrity thing after i watched the full episode with her i really actually see her as kind of exactly the same as the women that i wrote that non-binary article about three years ago it is almost uncanny how similar it is and uh i i yeah i think it's actually really sad honestly it's like the on one hand i actually am happy for her because she actually seems well which you know if you've been following demi lovato for a while for a long time she has she wasn't well you know she had that overdose in 2018 almost killed her and she's had a lot of struggles and so i actually am glad that she's doing well you know versus for example ellen page when we saw her recent interview with oprah she did not seem well it was very uh sickly and disturbing to watch uh and so on one hand i am genuinely happy for her like all you know making fun aside but then when you actually hear what's underneath it, the words that she's saying about what prompted all of this, it's so sad that she didn't feel like she could heal from the trauma and the mental illness and the pressures that she's been under as a woman 
as a woman, that she had to get rid of, you know, her identity as a female, that she had to deny her biological reality, and that she's just throwing all these other women and girls under the bus in order to survive, you know, to heal, as she calls it. And so to me, it really was bare. It was deja vu. Yeah. Wow. That's really sad when you said the part about how from her sexual assault trauma, she feels that she has to live the masculine in order to not be afraid. And that's quite sad to hear. We've talked in the past about social contagions, about self-harm, about a lot of these topics. And um, now we're going to talk really specifically about that gendered issue that's happening right now with non-binary. Specifically, we're we're not going to talk as much in this episode about trans men. We're going to talk more about non-binary. We've also talked a lot in the past about getting canceled. And we're going to start with MK's article that actually was the thing that got her fired, which is called Non-Binary is the New Not Like Other Girls, and it's deeply rooted in misogyny. So MK, can you just start us off? Just what was this essay about? Yeah, so this is an essay that I published on my personal Medium account back in the summer of 2018. And as you mentioned, it was the reason that I was fired from my job as a software engineer with no connection to to this topic in any way, shape, or form. Um, But it was literally written in the letter that they fired me with that this was the reason I was fired was for this article. Um, The article basically runs down my personal observances about non-binary identity. It talks about a group of friends of mine, three women who all within the course of a year started to identify as non-binary. It talks about why I think they chose that and some of the broader cultural stuff also happening at the moment around womanhood, around why women might not want to be women, around what's attractive about being non-binary to this certain cohort, um, but mostly focuses on the stories of these three women and what I experienced while I was living with them. They were my roommates. Mm-hmm. So they all became non-binary, right? All three yes, of these all women? all three of them. And yeah. then you gave an update that one of them is now taking testosterone? Yes, although as far as I'm aware, still identifying as non-binary. Okay. And that's particularly concerning to me. Yeah. I think a lot of times at least I've seen that women who identify as non-binary, like they might dress and act androgynous or they might, you know, change their name and go by they, them. But I had not seen this really active destruction of their body happening for non-binary girls a lot. And so seeing that was uh, really sad. I, I really, I really feel for her. Yeah. There's, all kinds of medicine now for non-binary because I spend time looking at the websites of these different gender clinics in my area because I'm curious what are they offering. I live in California and so you can imagine it's pretty extreme and some of the really extreme stuff that I've seen is you know they give they they offer a lot of the same surgeries for non-binary as they offer for transgender and that includes double mastectomies, um, genital surgeries. This is one that is really creepy. It's called genital nullification. And you can basically look like a Barbie doll down there and just get everything removed. Now, this, I don't know why anybody in their right minds would want to do this. Now, do you have a right to do this? Yeah, I guess. I guess. You're an adult, right? Um, Whether it's ethical for the 
for the surgeon to do it is another question. Right. So, but regardless of that, so we're not exactly contesting anyone's right to do this, but just like we're not contesting anyone's right to, I don't know if they have disassociative body dis disorder to cut off their limb, but we're, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about it and we're not just going to brush it off and say like people can do whatever they want. And that's the end of the story. Yeah. I mean, I think that what you're just saying there, it's really about someone who has a mental disorder and the idea that it would be ethical to treat that with a physical surgery that's irreversible and incredibly disruptive to daily functioning, I think is highly unethical from the yeah. doctor's perspective. And so I do think there actually could be some limits as far as even individual liberty. Like I don't think that you should be able to make some sorts of decisions for yourself when you are not in the state of mind to do so. And that's actually pretty standard across uh, all of medicine is you have to be able to be in the right mind to genuinely give consent. And what we're seeing in these cases are people who are, even as adults, who are pretty clearly not because there's pretty clearly other things going on here. And that's a lot of what I talk about in this article is a lot of the other things going on here that lead up to this sort of decision, if you call it that, happening. Right, because we kind of were more interested in why people would do this. Um, that's more the focus of this episode. And so getting into this topic, what did you mean by non-binary is the new not like other girls? Yeah, so if you have been in liberal feminist circles, you know, like five years ago or so, then you might recall a bunch of articles sort of like Jezebel, Bitch Media, like those sorts of websites talking about how the phrase not like other girls is really misogynistic. And it is. I agree with them on that. The phrase not like other girls used to be really popular among girls who wanted to say like, I am not like other girls. I am cool. I like to hang out with guys. I like sports. I am like laid back. I'm not into drama. I, you know, I am the sort of girl that guys like. I don't have these qualities that, you, you know, you think of women as having. I'm not like other girls. And so this was considered widely a, a you know, around this time, five years ago or so misogynistic, because the assumption laden in that is that other girls are like that. <laughs> and that you're basically uh, giving into this assumption, you're validating this cultural stereotype that women and girls are all of these things that society says they are. And you're so special, because you're a whole individual person with actual personality and you're not a total walking stereotype of what a woman is and so you know there were these articles that were really calling out this not like other girls trope and saying like hey maybe all women actually are just independent people and we shouldn't be validating these stereotypes so then cue non-binary identity on the rise all of a sudden and it really, to me, looked like the new, not like other girls, because these are women and girls who are saying, I am not a woman because I don't fit XYZ stereotypes of womanhood. I am gender nonconforming in the apparel that I choose to wear. I like my hair short. I, I don't like my body. I want to be treated with dignity and respect. Like I want to be able to speak up in a room and not have to worry about you know, how I look and sound and be taken seriously. And 
I saw this happening and I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> but also I am a woman. And to me, it really at the time felt like, and still feels like the women who are claiming this non-binary identity are really throwing other women under the bus in the same way that these not like other girls women were by saying, okay, yes, womanhood is all of these stereotypes that patriarchy has assigned to us. And I'm so different. I'm so special. I'm not like that. Please don't let me in with them. Let me be a whole individual with rights and thoughts and feelings and not like women. I'm not a woman. And so that's what I mean by that. It's uh, deeply rooted in misogyny and that it's the new not like other girls. And it has, as the uh, trend has picked up, even in the year since I wrote this article, it was back in 2018, three years ago now, uh, I've only seen people double down on that. And I feel like it's only gotten worse since then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, what's so funny is I'm remembering how when I was fired, some the the tweet that my boss cited that I wrote was remarkably similar to the point that you're making. And another tweet that he read, and I'm going to pull it up in a second, but another tweet that he read that was a retweet that um, I had retweeted that was like, this was, you know, why are, are you fired? Why am I fired? And he read this was, um, it said, Every time a non-binary woman says she wants to be treated like a human, she not like a woman, she's implying that women are less than human. Yep. You're right. It's remarkably similar. And it's amazing that uh, these are the things that got us both canceled. You know, yeah. we talk a lot about how, you know, in the movement, maybe not on this channel, but the movement tends to talk a lot about how, oh, you can't criticize the men. And actually, in this case, we were criticizing the behavior of our fellow women yeah. and how we felt like their behavior was harmful to other women. And that's actually what got us canceled. Yeah. And by men, because it was anyway, my boss. Yes, by yeah. men. Yeah. Men yeah. fired all of us. Yeah. Both of us. Yeah. And then the, the tweet that I wrote that I got one, there was only one tweet that I wrote that I got fired for. And that was, it said, the reason I think pronouns suck is because thinking of people as they, them, and pretending they're not male or female is like color slash race blindness for gender. Mm -hmm. And then I said, it won't help sexism or toxic masculinity. Men and women have unique and distinct experiences, which should be acknowledged, examined and critiqued, but not obfuscated gender nonconformity with acceptance of biological reality successfully defies gender roles, but switching pronouns reinforces those same roles. Yep, absolutely. And what, what you said there, I think is something I really relate to this idea that it's not going to actually change how women are treated for the most part under patriarchy. Now in, in certain woke or liberal circles, someone who's any sort of gender special might get some special treatment or privilege, but overall in society, a woman, regardless of what pronoun she goes by or what she calls herself, is still going to be subject to the oppression of patriarchy. And this is something that uh, really stood out to me with some of the roommates that I wrote about in this article. Uh, one woman in particular, Mitali, who she was actually my best friend at the time. And she and I really bonded over our experiences of sexual violence and the um, and what we and male violence and what we really saw in the world as the 
disparate treatment of women and patriarchy, you know, all of these things. And this was something that was really an important part of our friendship was acknowledging these ways that patriarchy was oppressing us as women. And she is Indian and she used to talk about how, you know, she was scared to walk the streets in India as a woman. And that she had all of these really reasonable fears about going back to India. And she would talk about how she really, and she really felt when we were friends very strongly about the importance of feminism and, you know, people who are trying to address these issues. And so then when she came out as non-binary, it was especially shocking because she really seemed to have an understanding of male violence. And to me, she was also always an avoidant personality though. Whenever there was a conflict, she would try to stay out of it. She like would like run away in a conflict, that sort of thing. And so to me, it seemed like taking this avoidance of conflict and applying it to her own identity of I am realizing, you know, the more and more she started to confront the threats of patriarchy, the reality of male violence is more and more when she started to pull back from being a woman and started to say, I don't want to be a woman anymore. It's like, well, no shit, of course you don't. If you know what you know, like, why would you? It doesn't make any sense. It, and if you want to live in the world free to walk down the streets of India, then yeah, you don't want to be a woman that of course. And that's what I saw with a lot of uh, the my roommates, the women in this article, Miriam and Joy, also two of the other women I talk about, had these really specific experiences that are very, very, I mean, I don't know if there's a universal female experience, but it, when we talk about what a female experience is, their stories are right there. And Yet at the end of the day, they didn't want to be women anymore. And it's not a surprise, but also I know that if Mitali were to go back to India today, just because she's a they them now, doesn't mean that she's gonna be treated any differently on the streets by the men that she was scared of in the first place. But now we'll call it a, you know gender identity harassment or something transphobic instead of calling it misogyny right or maybe it was like because she was a fab which means assigned female at birth if you don't know the lingo um yeah because that's the thing right like that was my point with this tweet and i will say now i would not word it this way because i'm using a lot of what i now consider actually woke jargony like when i said toxic masculinity i prefer now to explain what i mean by things rather than just going for these fall back on terms. Yeah, exactly. So mm -hmm. I don't love the tweet anymore because I feel like it's a bit ideological, but um, that and which I kind of no longer adhere to. But I, I totally still agree with my basic point, which is that yeah. going by they them is just ridiculous. And also what I was specifically responding to was Elon Musk tweeted pronouns suck. And then someone else yeah. tweeted, um, which was hilarious. And then someone else tweeted, no, like we should just refer to everybody as they, them until they specify what they want to be called. And that was the tweet that like prompted me to tweet this because yeah. I just thought that's the most idiotic thing. Men are still going to be men. Women are still going to be women. We're still going to be different. We're still going to have to navigate those differences and our relationships without like, it's not going to make any difference. It's just ridiculous. It's just going to make it impossible to talk about. And, yeah. you know, we're mostly talking about women who identify as non-binary, but I have also seen 
um, men identifying as non-binary and then kind of getting away with like the typical obnoxious male behavior, even like sinister yeah. male behavior that it seemed to me from the outside because I didn't personally know these men very well, but it was like friends of friends. And it seemed to me that the women around them were really like making a lot of allowances for them because they were non-binary and so they weren't allowed to even see them as a man. So I think that's kind of a cop out for like, for for a man to say, I'm not, I'm not a man. Yeah. And I totally agree with what you just said about gender neutral language. I think, you know, as I mostly pretty much consider myself a radical feminist. And so I do consider gender abolition to be an ultimate goal of mine. And so a lot of people would say to me then, well, why not just use gender neutral language now and you know, be the change you wanna see in the world? And my answer to that is very similar to yours is that, well, cause we don't live in a gender neutral world yet. And so all we would be doing is policing language and preventing people from actually talking about the real differences and realities. And I really agree with that. I think that there, is I don't think people should be, you know, I think people can use whatever language they want ultimately. I think, you know, free speech, yay. Uh, but I personally would not opt to do that because I think that acknowledging women, especially in spaces where it really matters that they're a woman, I think that that's really important visibility and I wouldn't wanna erase that actual reality of what's happening in the moment. And it can just be very hard to, to get that information when you're not allowed to talk about someone's sex and or use pronouns that reference that. So I totally agree with you on that. And I think that acknowledging that, yeah, we want a more gender neutral world in terms of like, we want less oppression, discrimination on the basis of sex doesn't mean that we're like, we want everything to be like how non-binary people yeah. would we say don't want to they... disappear sex entirely. Yeah. <laughs> That's not exactly. what we're about. Now, what do you right. say to the accusation that queer theory is the fault of feminism? We hear this from conservatives a lot mm -hmm. that they're like, we'll sleep in the bed you make. Like you feminists yeah. were the ones who pushed for the, all of this trans queer stuff. And now suddenly you don't want it anymore. And I think that there's a mixed bag of uh, validity to that. I think on one hand, liberal feminism is often not feminism in, exactly. in anything but name. And yeah. so there's that. Um, I also think, though, that there have been a lot of forces that have influenced and shaped women who, you know, are prominent feminists who, you know, got into a lot of this queer theory stuff, a lot of postmodernism stuff. And I think that those forces were generally male dominated and controlled forces, a sexology, I guess, being honestly sort of the... I don't want to say the first one because obviously all of history builds on itself, but the sexologists of the like fifties, I think kind of were the beginning of where we are today uh, on this issue specifically. And I'm not a historian, so I don't know, but I guess what I would say is that now like is where like here we are and there are women feminists who are speaking out against this and who are fighting it. And if you're a little late to the party, if you were like me, a liberal feminist who was supportive of queer theory, trans ideology, I mean, God, I called myself queer until I was like 22. I think it's actually still on an old Instagram account of mine. I really need to like delete that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a relic. But, yeah, yeah. It, 
I mean, you can find all kinds of stuff that I used to say when I was younger. Um, so yeah, I'm a little late to the party and I do acknowledge the harm that I did when I was promoting those ideas, but I'm here now. But I'm also, speaking out against it now. Harm, but that's the other thing is like, you didn't do harm by just promoting ideas. I, I don't believe you. Did. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. I guess there's different kinds of harm. Yeah. We've talked about that. I think on the show before, I do think that there is harm that results from, I like, I think when people put ideas into action, that that can be harmful. And I actually did do like advocated for actions that I now would not advocate for. So for example, um, I used to work at a women's organization that gave an annual award for excellent women in particular categories. And when I was there, I advocated to open that up to anyone who identifies as a woman. And, you know, I was 20, like I, it was a long time ago. It was like nearly, you know, a, a decade ago now. Um, so I was a very different person, but I do regret doing that because now to this day, that award is open to people who identify as women. And um, I haven't gone back and looked to see if a man has taken a woman's spot, but I do think I actually put some actions uh, behind my words that I now do regret. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, first of all, you're one of the most candid people I know because you just talk about stuff like that from your past. And it's, I guess, kind of just the result of being someone who gets shit done because that's what you are. You get shit done. And so you were yeah. going to get shit done at that point too. We can't all just immediately see it for what it is. So something that we see a lot with this is this denial of biological reality. The whole idea that I am not a woman because I say I'm not and I am literally not female. And this is something I was starting to see back in 2018 when I wrote this article. But I feel like it's only gotten worse lately. I mean, we just saw... Uh, last week or like two weeks ago, there was this whole Canadian coalition of women's groups that published this statement signing on to say that a trans woman is not biologically male, that they are biologically female because they are they are female and they have a biology. And I, <laughs> where is this coming from? And I feel like it's really picked up lately. Do you, yeah. Where is this coming from? I don't know. It's it's it is reaching a crescendo and this whole linguistic slate of hand that they pull to say I'm a female because I identify as a female. So therefore my body parts are female. My penis right. is female. It's like prescriptive rather than descriptive. It's yeah. like pres like their biology is prescribed by their identity rather than their identity is described by their biology. Yeah. Perfect. I mean true. Yeah. I think the prescriptive descriptive thing totally applies to biology. It's like, we are born female, we die female. We're gonna, we are always gonna have female bodies, but that doesn't have to dictate how we choose to live our lives. You don't have to be a mother. You don't have to be a wife. You don't have right. to be oppressed. I mean, sometimes you do, but you don't, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, just choose. That's what these people are doing. They are trying to choose to not be oppressed by yeah. being like, I'm not a female. But, don't oppress but me. Why is it like, okay. Yeah. But a lot of times it's these upper middle class people who aren't, who aren't oppressed. I think there's degrees. I think that, you know, and 
upper middle class, white, straight female can absolutely still be, you know, talked down to in a meeting, passed over for a promotion, like can Sexually still face assaulted. discrimination. Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, is that not oppression? Like this, the global terrorism of male violence that, I mean, I definitely still think that, you know, women who are more privileged in life still do face oppression under patriarchy. I mean, there are upper middle class women who live in countries, states where they can't get an abortion or mm -hmm. where they can't get contraceptive pills mailed to them. Like, you know, there absolutely is still stuff. Um, but I take your point that a lot of the times these uh, girls who are trying to opt out of their oppression, it's like, okay, but if you actually were you know, a woman living in Iran, or you actually were a woman who, you know, was, had to do, like, had to work as a prostitute to survive, but then, I mean, be prostituted rather, then maybe you would not think that just calling yourself a different name and going by different pronouns would somehow make you not oppressed anymore because you're not really dealing with a lot of the hard material realities that billions and billions of women throughout history across the world have had to deal with. Like you're like, and this is actually something that I wrote in this article is I said that you're not oppressed for thinking that you can escape womanhood. You're privileged if you think you can. Like just the very fact Perfect. that you think you can opt out of this makes you privileged. We already know that you're not one of the women who is genuinely in a really bad state right now. Perfectly stated. Yeah. yeah. And um, because that's what I was going to say next is like, they are also adopting this new special victimhood category. That's part of yes. it too. So yeah. I think it's also you feel a bit special if you get to be non-binary. Absolutely. I mean, most of these girls, actually, to my knowledge, this may have changed, but the last I knew, every single one of the girls I wrote about in this article were some degree of bisexual. And there were, you know, women who were questioning more or less. There were some who, like, were thinking, maybe I'm more on the gay side. But basically, they were some degree of bisexual, like me. And I saw a lot of not wanting to be bisexual because it's boring and like not cool for one. Like, you know, nobody likes you. The gays don't like you. Straights don't like you. Like nobody likes you. The bisexuals don't like you because we don't like anyone. Like, you know, it's, nobody likes you when you're bi. That's boring. You don't want to be that. And there's all these stereotypes. And so instead you're queer and then you can be, and let me tack on, I'm a queer NB femme. And it's like, okay, now you're something that's interesting. Right, and like right. it's basically these boring, you know, 20 year old girls who don't <laughs> really have anything interesting else going on in their lives who are trying to find a way to make themselves stand out. And so each of these people has actually gone on to make their like persona, their identity online and stuff really centered around this queerness, this yeah identity and I mean you could say well Mary Kate you did the same thing about being canceled and it's like okay sure but I didn't have any other options like you're still a teacher you're still a whatever unless you really are. were canceled they are pretending <laughs> to not be women <laughs> right yeah it's yeah it's it's obviously just a little bit of um 
trying to find, uh, we've talked about this before, you know, trying to find your hero journey when you're young. And a lot of these girls actually were quite a bit younger than me. I was 23, I think, when we stopped talking, when this article was written. No, wait, 25, <laughs> sorry, math. Um, I was 25 when this article was written and the uh, youngest woman I reference here was, 20. And so they were quite a bit younger. And I think that that makes a big difference when you're really struggling with your identity and trying to find your thing that makes you special and how you're going to narrate your story to the world. Mm -hmm. I was like obsessed with Lana Del Rey. And so I was completely in a different category trying to find my, I mean, this was a different time too. Non-binary wasn't uh, in full swing yet but um yeah yeah so I'm kind of embarrassed at like my fashion or my you know my persona from when I was 20 but I also wanted to connect this to something that I recently published that was this account from an anonymous medical student I published this Q&A with a medical student and you can find it on plebity.org I'll link it below this just came out on May 6th and um what this medical student is saying, they are essentially blowing the whistle on the ideological lies that are being peddled at their medical, this is a top tier medical school. And they said, in class, we have been given multiple histories in which the patient's sex has been deleted, even for cases involving disorders, which can manifest differently between the sexes, the words female and male are being erased and replaced. So that's very disturbing. I know. And I want to say my message be like to young girls, you can defy stereotypes, but while acknowledging biological reality. But now we have right. this denial of biological reality in favor of stereotypes in medical school and they're teaching it and it's really terrifying and sick and I encourage people to read these answers from we're calling this person C. And um, C is remaining completely anonymous for reasons that I think are clear if you watch this channel. And in my intro to this piece, I wrote, the irony of using they, them pronouns for a single person is not lost on me. I find it interesting that due to the tyranny of gender ideology, I must adhere to one of their tenets and accept the use of the plural pronoun for a single person whose sex I know. Actually ironic about that especially mm -hmm. is that presuming that this person does not identify as they, them, then you're actually being forced to misgender this person <laughs> in order to protect them. That's and that is literal violence. And so you <laughs> actually have to do literal violence against this person in order to protect them from yeah. other literal violence. Yeah. I mean, it's feels crazy, but it's logical. <laughs> this is like why I want to make my pronouns a silent B in music because then if you misgender me, that's violence, but also silence is violence. So there's no way out. Like you're gonna commit violence against me no matter what. So um, if, you're go if you wanna refer to me. So yeah, and then, you know, exactly what you said. I The fact that I have to do this is because I have to protect this person and any information about them could potentially be enough to raise suspicion. I mean, if someone happened to read this um, piece and they're in medical school and they're one of these police type people, self-assigned police, assigned police at birth, whatever, like assigned gender <laughs> police at birth. Um, APAP. That they might be like looking around their classmates, like, is it you, is it you? So I can't even say if this person is, is a he or a she. 
And we all know that he or she is a identifying feature. Like, despite what these people want us to believe, if I were to say he or she, that would be an identifying feature. I'm also really disturbed by what you said is happening at this school. And oh, yeah. It's can I just, so are these cases of actual patients where or are they like hypotheticals or like these are real people that they're talking about? That's a good and question. like the students are actually helping determine the outcome of their treatment or is it all like you know this is an example of a thing here's what c wrote um c said here's some examples of formats so the question was a twitter user named at rodeo chopper asked how are cases presented normally the first line is this is a such and such year old male slash female with a past medical history significant for dot 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 so the uh the medical student answered here are some examples of formats I have seen in our coursework. This is a 43-year-old woman with ovaries presenting with da 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 da, da. A three-year-old child assigned male at birth, not assigned gender as of yet by parents presenting with da da da, da. And they go on. There's another one. This patient is, Even a, is from a seven-year-old child the... gendered as a boy by his parents who da da da. Oh, my God. And they go on. There's a lot of examples here. A 32-year-old so woman, and then in parentheses, she, her, hers. A 57-year-old woman with testes. Oh. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> Try again, doctors. It's I mean, it's no wonder that kids think that they their biology doesn't matter when the professionals are being taught this. And mm -hmm. I think that the question of, okay, well, is this all because of feminists? I think that there's a stronger argument that it's because of academics and all of this high-minded theorizing that, you know, these academics write these articles with these like big ideas and theories and they don't care, it, let alone think about what the real world on the ground application of this could be and how it could actually impact things, you know, two generations from now when those ideas are twisted and simplified a lot, like kind of distilled down to what is the most easy to digest version of this theoretical idea that you've put forward. And it, it, that can also be hard to anticipate. So it's not entirely their fault, but we see it being pushed in institutions so much. And that's, I think a lot of what we're seeing here is in the schools, in hospitals, in, you know, nonprofits, the NGO world is just sick with it right now. Um, and I, I think it's these institutions that are really pushing this because they're coming from all of this like theoretical background, you know, direction. And uh, actually there's an article on 4W, maybe we'll link it, that uh, argues that institutions are basically like a branch of the patriarchy. And so it's no surprise that these institutions are pushing patriarchy 2.0. And out now that like, patriarchy 1.0 like there have been bugs in that system and basically it, she argues and uh so i think that's a really interesting way to look at this and how the institutions have become involved here and then it trickles down to regular normal people just your regular average 20 year old girl who's just trying to live her life hates her body doesn't want to be oppressed and so her solution is to be non-binary and take testosterone and cut off her breasts and it's they, there's really, I think, so little empathy, genuine empathy for the people in these situations. It's all this performative, 
we care so much. Like we validate like trans lives matter. And, but there's actually basically no empathy in the way of I'm going to actually try to imagine what it's like to be you, to put myself in your shoes, to live your life and try to get at what your motivations could be. And I think that that is why this non-binary article that I wrote really struck a chord with people. I mean, it went like semi-viral-ish, like in gender critical circles at the time. And I think that's because these are women who were my best friends. Like I knew them really well. I knew the struggles that they were facing. I knew why they didn't want to be women. And I could deeply empathize with them. Like I have no ill will towards any of these women. I mean, I was just telling you before we started filming, Sasha, that I still have dreams about reconciling with them because they were people who I loved in a lot of ways. And so I think that when you can actually empathize with why women are trying to opt out of womanhood, then you can you can see how this happens. And you, I think then that helps you extend it beyond, you know, oh, you're an individual and like, I'm going to be, you know, criticizing you, whatever, for your individual decisions. But we can instead look at this broader system, this combination of just general patriarchy, of wokeness, of identity politics, of young teenage and like early adulthood identity crises and angst and institutional support for a specific ideology. And when you put all these things together, you get a generation of girls that are all non-binary where there's not a lesbian left in sight. And I mean, there are, I've heard from many girls, especially girls who are like, maybe five to seven years younger than me tends to be particularly in that age, age range where there's not a one of them left who isn't trans to some degree. And it's just this perfect storm of factors coming together to, you know, really just sweep this generation. Another piece of this is like, why, I mean, we're getting at it, but we haven't really, we haven't really delved into it. Why are women so, why, why do they hate being a woman so much? Why do they want to not be a woman? I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons for women who, I think there's sort of this uh, in-between phase of feminism. I think when you're first starting to get woke about uh, patriarchy and about female oppression and feminism, you're like excited. You're like, oh my God, this explains experiences. Like this puts words into my mouth that like to help me understand what I've experienced describes these common threads in my life that I now have words for and that's powerful. And then you kind of go through this middle range of starting to like, get deeper and deeper into feminism where like everything becomes about being a woman and everywhere you look there's something like i'm scared to walk down the street like i'm in this meeting and this guy is talking down to me like this guy yeah, this man's like, like every this movie man. you see you're like they're objectifying oh women God. and whatnot yes it starts to become painful to be aware and then i think that from there you go one of two directions either you go the direction of i'm gonna find some way to make this less like painful for me personally uh, and uh, maybe by some sort of denial, some sort of like stepping back from it, 
or you go full radical feminist and you're like, you know, I acknowledge that all of this is happening and, um, but maybe you start to see it at a higher level. And so you can kind of step out of the weeds a little bit and then hopefully find, you know, sisterhood and solidarity and like actually kind of start to separate yourself from that a little bit. And I think that what I've seen with a lot of these non-binary women is that they got into that middle phase where it gets really hard to exist in the world when you're seeing it all. It's, it's like that, Oh my God, I referenced this on the show before and I forget the name every time, this fucking movie. So I think that there's this group of women, these non-binary women who they get into this middle phase where it becomes really, really hard to see everything happening around you, to see the oppression of women, to see what's happening to your friends and the people that you love. I think that was a big part of it for uh, one woman in my article, Joy. She actually was is like just one of the most empathetic, kind, loving people. And I think that she saw how all of the other women around her, me and Miriam and Matali were affected by patriarchy. And it became so painful for her to see all of that and feel helpless and powerless. And so then I think they're like, get me the fuck out of here. And I think that that's basically what happens is, and there's a lot of reasons why you would start to feel this pain. You know, for example, I talked about Matali's experience as an Indian woman um, and sexual assault. But, you know, I think there's also a lot of, uh, reasons that women would hate their bodies, uh, you know, even liberal feminists get this, you know, society pushes an ideal of a woman's body. If you don't meet that ideal, then you're trying to live up to all of these standards. All of these liberal feminists are watching porn now to try to, I don't know, sexually empower themselves. And they're seeing all this shit in porn that they can't live up to. And so like Miriam in particular had a lot of uh, body dysmorphia, even before she started identifying as trans, she, she hated her body. She, uh, she used to make art about like cutting it apart and trying to escape her flesh. And she really wanted to be seen as the person that she is inside and not what her body portrayed it, which by the way is beautiful. Like there was nothing wrong with her body. Like not that that should matter, but like there wasn't. And she obviously felt a certain way because of society. Yeah. And because the point uh, is that this isn't like a case where you actually have like some deformity it's like you're just a perfectly right. normal looking woman perfectly so normal and i think that's important to clarify sometimes is that no one else i mean saw a problem with her body like it was a her thing purely internal it's and that's what i think you know dysmorphia body dysmorphia is is when you see yourself as very wrong in a way that the rest of uh society wouldn't see you well here's a question i mean okay so this is a little different but actually just did a video with um, this woman named Miriam Ben Shalom, and she's like an older Ooh. radical feminist lesbian. And it was on the channel Make More Noise. So you can check that out. Go to Make More Noise, but uh, YouTube. But we were asked to talk about what is wonderful about being a woman. And maybe, and I didn't really know exactly what to say, but I, even though I do love being a woman and I do think it's wonderful to be a woman, but I don't know, MK, I'm curious how you would answer that. I have some opinions. Yes. Okay. Number one, I think other women are just amazing and beautiful and strong and inspiring. And seeing how other women overcome given their current circumstances, especially women, you know, when we're talking about women who really are facing a lot of serious oppression, like where they are, their strength and resilience is so amazing and inspiring. And I love that. Um, 
I also think that there are differences between men and women and that on some of those, I really strongly prefer the woman. I, I think, okay, number one, women's bodies tend to prefer them. They're, I mean, just beautiful. I mean, men's bodies on. are weird. And like, I don't fully get what you're doing there. And it's just like, why? <laughs> you know, just why? I'll just leave it at that. Um, but beyond that, I think that women tend to be I mean, it's hard to not talk in a way that's stereotyping, but there are actual differences on average between men and women and what's cultural versus what bio, what's biological. You know, we can debate that until the cows come home. But I do think that the empathy that women can show, not always, obviously, but that they can show is really amazing. I think that the specific form of strength, you know, since we talk about sports a lot in this movement, there's a lot of talk about, oh, men are physically stronger and blah, blah, blah. I think that women have a certain kind of strength that is more subtle and in a way can often be more powerful. And I think that while men might have this like brute force strength, I can just like bully you into submission. Women have this strength of, of mind a lot of times where we can push through things that a man would just like buckle because like they're so spoiled. And, you know, we see this, for example, with uh, pain thresholds, you know, there's research that shows that women tend to have a higher pain tolerance. And because number one, like our pain isn't taken as seriously. So we get used to like just more pain being more normal. But, you know, I think there's something to be said for this, uh, endurance and resilience that I see women have and then taking that strength and applying it to other areas of life I think is often I, I think we see just some of the most amazing inspiring women doing that having this endurance being in it for the long game having this uh, strength of mind and ability to bounce back from you know some of the most horrible things you can imagine and of course men can do these things too and like men can be resilient and whatever um, but I feel like there's just this specific flavor of it that is, you know, present in a lot of the women that I really look up to. And I think that that's beautiful. And so that that's one of the things that I like the most about women mm -hmm. and being a woman. And like, I am proud to be of this stock, like of the class of people that endures and is resilient and survives and bounces back and supports each other and helps people and cares about others. Like, you know, some of these things, yes, maybe societally pushed on us. Some of these roles may be prescribed to me, but I don't think that just because a role is prescribed to you doesn't mean it's always like inherently a bad thing. You know, I think the idea that women often are like more caring, I think that's probably both biological and societal. I think there's like some nature there that then is uh, emphasized by nurture. But I, and women because of that are often mistreated and looked down upon in society. And like the caring roles are paid less and or not paid at all and, you know, undervalued. But the caring itself is a beautiful amazing thing and the fact that we have the ability to do that i think is i mean just amazing and yeah mm -hmm. that, that's my rant about women i okay. like women Good. women are cool yeah and you know what all my best friends are women like none of this like you know i like to be friends with the guys because the guys are so cool no like women are cool guys like spoiler and 
And you know what? I have also something a bit more practical that I did that kind of helped me with my, I hate the phrase internalized misogyny, but kind of the Mm. just, oh God, implicit bias, the cringe. Um, And just, I keep using worse and worse phrases. Um, But okay, to describe what it really is, that I realized at some point when I got to college that I did have kind of this implicit bias against female intellectualism where I just Mm -hmm. automatically deferred to the male. Like if I'm reading a text, like if it's a male, I'm going to take it more seriously. And once I noticed this, it was a very, it was very easy to fix. All I had to do was read more women and then it fixed it because I'm like the, the, and remember it's not on the surface level. It's a subconscious thing. So um, once you, because I could tell myself, of course, I don't actually think that rationally on the surface level, but it's, here's something really interesting. I was going through my old pictures on my phone and I found this screenshot from years ago, this article in the New York Times. I bet they wouldn't write this today. And it said that when you're teaching people about implicit biases that they have, the most important, the most effective thing is to tell them people often and usually change these and are capable of changing these. And I think yeah. we've really lost that with critical theory because it's like, oh, you're going to be biased forever. Like your implicit biases are intrinsic to you and you're born with them and you're never going to be able to get rid of them. You actually can get rid of them. And if you have these sort of like deeply rooted biases against women and you're a woman and you sort of think like women aren't as cool, they're not as intelligent, they're not as intellectual. I mean, is it any wonder that we think that like all of the the Western canon of intellectual work is basically men and you have to do, you have to actually actively try to read women if you want to read women. But it really, it really does change how you think of it because it just, it just shifts that subconscious layer of like, you can, you're, you have the evidence right there that women are just as intellectual as men. And so it just seeps yeah. in. Okay, now I also want to just a little bit play the devil's advocate here, which I like to try to do, but this isn't going to be a very strong one. But, you know, it's okay to not be like the other people around you. If you want to be not like other girls because the girls in your school are catty or they gossip a lot and all they do is watch the Kardashians and wear makeup and they're mean to you, then don't be like them that's okay. You don't have to be like the other kids. You don't have to be like the other girls. You don't have to be like the other boys. If you're a boy, if all your boyfriends are aggressive and, or maybe they're, they're not aggressive. Maybe they're all playing sports and you don't like that. You don't have to be like the other boys. You don't have to be like the other girls. Just be you. You are special. You are good enough as you are, but don't, don't, um, first of all, don't get that fucking surgery. Don't ever do that. But also likewise, I I think that we can say if all of the other kids in your school think that you have to be X, Y, Z to be a girl, then yet be not like that. And I, I think that, you know, we see so many different forms of pressure these days. And I agree. I think that you can just be you. You don't need some label for it beyond what you literally are. And that is enough. Okay, guys, that was our episode today on non-binary, on denying your physical reality while when you what you're trying to do is deny certain stereotypes or other things or escape being a woman. And we hope that you found it interesting. Let us know what you think in the comments below and um, catch us on this channel every week on Mondays for new episodes.
If you like our content, you can help us out by subscribing on Patreon. There will be a link in the description. When you join the Plebity Patreon, you not only support all of Plebity's awesome work like the Free Speech Fund, but you also support this channel and allow us to continue making this free content for you. If you value it, please consider joining on Patreon. And otherwise, you can be sure to like and subscribe everywhere across the internet. Thank you.